That is the question for the ages. Why do fools fall in love? Okay, you know, from time immemorial, okay, we uh, have seen um, people getting together, people who meet each other, men and women who meet one another, and uh, they fall in love, uh, get married, and then they have to figure out how to live together at that point. Now, for a lot of people, marriage can be a challenge, and, and we know the statistic, you know, 50% of marriages end in divorce. Uh, a lot of the millennial generation is delaying marriage because of the mess that their parents' marriages were, things like that. But uh, God designed marriage to be a blessing for people. So the question is, how, how do you invest in your marriage so that you experience the blessing that God intended it to be? Now, today we begin a new series. You've seen um, this uh, slide up here called House. So we're calling a series House. And uh, with this series, what we're doing in the next several weeks is we're going to be taking a look at uh, several chapters from the book of Ephesians on relationships, particularly uh, looking at those relationships that are family relationships. Uh, so getting into marriage and parenting and things like that. Now, um, when we do that, what you will find is that... Uh, you know, for those who are married, great, you know, with a subject like this, that's wonderful. But for some people, we know that, uh, you know, this subject may not be the best of subjects for you. It may not uh, be a pleasant, good subject because you've been down this road of marriage and it didn't turn out as you had hoped. For other people, I know that uh, you uh, were married and badly missed that spouse who is now gone. All right, we, we know that and want you to know that God hears you and God understands that ache that you feel in your heart. Today, uh, there's also people here who maybe have never been married, don't have any intentions on getting married, um, and you may be thinking that this subject is not for you either. But in reality, the, the verses that we're going to look at today are verses that are not specific only to marriage. Uh, the verses that follow them are, but these particular verses actually we, we apply to marriage, but they can be applied to many different significant relationships in life. So I think you'll find today that there are many things that you can apply to your significant relationships in life. The question is today, do you want better relationships? Do you want them to be life-giving instead of life-draining? Then tune in today in the next several weeks to what uh, the book of Ephesians talks about when it comes to relationships. Now, beginning today with this uh, subject of marriage, we can see this, that marriage, of course, takes two people, right? It takes two people. But, but he, here's, here's the thing, is that those two people are individuals, which means that if you are one of those individuals, then you have the opportunity to make your marriage better as that individual in that relationship. Let me give you an example here that at first may not sound like it has a whole lot to do with marriage, but it does. Bear with me. Okay, the example is this, that a number of years ago in my first church that I went to serve, I served in, at a congregation, large church in western Minnesota, and there it was lake country, able to live on a lake, and had this speedboat that was left over from my pre-seminary days, and boated this thing over to our side of the lake, docked it at our dock down there, climbed up the stairs, and proceeded to unpack all these boxes. And uh, while I was doing that, this violent storm kicked up, and uh, it sunk my boat. Uh, 
Um, anybody ever have a boat sunk that you had to raise? Anybody at all? Okay, you'd be okay. All right, yeah, fun, fun times, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, boy. All right. Well, this thing, you know, it was not sunk. Thankfully, in the middle of the lake, it was sunk, you know, in the shallower waters there by the dock. Um, so probably in about four, five feet of water, something like that. But you still have to, you know, bail this thing out and and raise it from the bottom of the lake. Meanwhile you got these waves that are coming in and trying to undo the good that you're trying to do, you know, hammering the boat. And that's kind of a lot like marriage where you've got life and you've got these waves that can hammer, you know, that boat of marriage that you have. And there's certain things that you can do as those who ride in that boat that will either sink the boat, okay, of marriage, or raise it. So what are the, th- of course, we want to avoid the things that are going to sink it, and do the things that are going to raise it, right? So, in the book of Ephesians, we can see this. As Paul begins by saying in Ephesians chapter 4, these words. As he talks about, he gives us the example of something that can sink it. He says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed this or not, but when it comes to relationships, words matter, don't they? They, they matter. I mean, there have been times when I can look back at certain things and say, man, why did I say that, you know? Uh, and then Ralphie here, man, he really knows about how words matter. You know, this is from the movie Christmas Story, and uh, Ralphie, he, uh, you know, gets himself into trouble with various words that he says, and so much that during this scene in the movie, he's uh, thinking to himself about all of the nuances of the different kinds of bar soap that he's had the pleasure of sampling. Um, he's thinking about, you know, Life Boy is by far the worst, but, you know, this other bar has got kind of a nice aftertone to it. And, and then he dreams about how, you know, the, the day will come when people will feel so sorry for him and show this great sympathy when he has uh, bar soap poisoning from, you know, having this thing in his mouth. But, you know, he's got it because of the words that he's speaking that were not uplifting. They did not lift up the relationship, but instead they were sinking the relationship. So he wound up with a bar in his mouth. Well, words can do that, though. Words can be things that can, can sink a relationship. But what Paul is saying here sounds to be too good to be true. It, it sounds, you know, like this ideal that's impossible to attain, especially for somebody like Ralphie, uh, where he says this, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up. What he's talking about here, I think, can be summarized in this way. He's saying, speak with respect to one another. Speak with respect to your spouse, that other person in this significant relationship. Now, it's been said that uh, for men to experience love, that comes through respect. And women, it comes through security. You know, they've got to feel secure in order to be able to experience it as love. But I would say that uh, really both things apply to both genders. It's just maybe the order, the priority of it. And, uh, you know, for example, men. Okay, don't try this at home, but um, let's say that you were to speak disrespectfully to your wife, okay? 
But somewhere in the midst of speaking disrespectfully to her and, and all of these disrespectful things that you might be saying to her, you insert the words, I love you. What will her response be? Uh, at the very least, I would say that she will be confused, right? In all likelihood, she will not be happy, correct? Because the disrespect that is being shown outweighs those couple of words that get somehow get inserted in the middle. As a matter of fact, it would seem to be offensive to try to do it that way. Or women, okay? If you want to have your husband know that you love him, this must be included in order for that message to get through. You must somehow communicate respect to him. Words matter. Disrespect sinks ships. Okay? But uh, with Paul here, what he's saying here is, is also that uh, there are certain things that we can do and say that will be actually things that can raise the ship, raise the boat of marriage. Ephesians 4.32, he says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So he's saying these are the words that can be used. Yes, words have power in relationships. These are the words that can be used which will bail the boat out so that it might float. And by the way, boats are made to float. That's what they're designed to do. And that's what God has designed marriages to do. He's designed them to float. You know, it's a matter of helping them to do what they were designed to do. So you speak these words, and these are things that can help to bail it out so that it can float. And uh, in the gospel lesson that we heard from today, uh, Jesus is talking about how we should be merciful even to our enemies. So if we're merciful even to our enemies, how much more so can you be merciful to that one that you love? Okay, and that's what he's talking about here with kindness and compassion. Compassion means climbing into the shoes of the other person and trying to see life the way that they see it, which sometimes is difficult to do. But when you do that, then it is easier to show kindness with your words and with your actions. The other words that he's talking about there are words of forgiveness. Now, have you seen those commercials with the black stuff in the can that you spray it on things and it seals up whatever it sprays? You see those things? Okay. And, man, just amazing stuff. You spray it on your gutter. You spray it on your screen door. You spray it on your dog, you know, whatever it is. And, you know, it seals it up, whatever that thing is. And um, there's this one where they, they take this aluminum boat and they saw it in half and then seal it up, you know, with this can of this black stuff and put it right out on the water. And, and the thing floats. That's, that black stuff in the can, that's like forgiveness, Okay. Forgiveness is what seals up the leaks in your relationship so that it can float again, okay? So you can get that thing going. Now, for, for some of us, you know, we hang on to stuff, right? I mean, it's like, man, you remember back in the Eisenhower administration um, when you did that? And, you know, we, here's the thing about getting that boat up off the bottom of the lake, okay? You've got to jettison the things that are dead weight, that are holding it back, and this is the same thing with forgiveness in a relationship. You've you got to jettison the things that are holding you back in your relationship. Forgiveness doesn't say that what happened wasn't wrong. What forgiveness says is that this thing is not going to sink our relationship. So words of forgiveness, those are the things that we, that we say in order to be able to bail this thing out and raise that boat again so that it floats.
So the first thing, the first grouping of things, anyway, um, that can either sink or raise your relationship have to do with words. The second thing, Paul says, it says it this way in Ephesians 5.3, he says, but among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. So the second thing has to do with sexual immorality. Now, the Bible talks about sex a lot. We do not. In church, we hardly ever dare even bring the subject up, but it's about time that we talk about it because if we look around in our culture, it's everywhere, isn't it? I mean, it's a fact of life, you know, and it's a blessing from God that God has given to us. Um, you know, um, last night, Brother Tim, I, I mentioned to him, Tim, you know, uh, Elder Tim over here uh, and, and I were uh, preparing for the service last night, and I said, Tim, I'm going to preach about sex tonight. And he started laughing, and he said, I don't think he was, thought I was serious when I said that. And he started laughing, and he said, you know, you should start your sermon that way. Just tell it exactly like that, and you'll get their attention, you know, right there. Um, because we don't talk about it that much. We really don't. But Fulton Sheen says this. He says, sex has become one of the most discussed subjects of modern times. The Victorians pretended it did not exist. The moderns pretend that nothing else exists. Now, you just turn on the TV and you're going to see it everywhere, right? I mean, it's the sea in which we swim. Um, you know, there's a lot of different shows that are, that are great on TV. One of the things, one of the shows I enjoy watching sometimes is the show Friends. But Friends, man, whew, whoa. You know, the character Phoebe in there, one, one episode, uh, Phoebe was complaining to her friends that this guy that she was dating, this, this new guy that she was dating, and she was complaining about this guy and said, well, what's wrong with him? And uh, she said, well, he, does, he hasn't even tried to take me to bed yet. It's like, okay, well, that's, you know, that's what's being sold, you know. Uh, and in the show, the standing joke is that Joey, another character, is a guy um, who keeps waking up in the morning uh, with these women in his bedroom, and he doesn't even know what their name is, you know, um, that that's, you know, what the culture is. But what do we do with that? Um, you know, that's just one of those, that show is just one example of what we can see out there. Um, you know, you try a little sexual immorality in a marriage, though, and that's going to sink it. Man, that's going to torpedo it. That's going to sink it to the bottom. Because God's got a different plan. He's got a different plan for marriage. God designed sex to be between one man and one woman. What a concept, huh? But our culture has promoted it as a substitute for real intimacy, which means that if it's a, a substitute for real intimacy, then we've got people who don't get to experience real intimacy. They have this counterfeit in its place. There's two Christian psychologists by the name of Les and Leslie Perot who uh, say that, uh, talk about, uh, you know, the sexual immorality as being this desire to prove one's self-worth. And that um, with women, the desire more specifically is to prove that I'm desirable and attractive and for men to prove that I'm capable. But ultimately, it's a matter of proving your value, your self-worth. And... Um, Here's the thing, is that sleeping around in affairs, looking for that worth in all the wrong places is, is something that doesn't work. You look at Will Chamberlain, okay? Will Chamberlain famously claimed to have slept with 20,000 women, okay? 
20,000. Which leads to all kinds of questions like, why? Um, and why would he claim this publicly? Except to demonstrate what a man he is. To demonstrate, or try to demonstrate anyway, his value, his worth. But really, what did sleeping with 20,000 women achieve? Any intimacy? Not really. Any real worth or value? No, still looking. Just another body after a while. Just more evidence that the worth and value that is sought is still elusive, still not found. And here's the reason. Because your worth, your value, really can be found in one place, and that is in Jesus Christ and the worth and the value that He places on you. When you find it there, you don't need to engage in the kind of behavior that sinks boats, that sinks relationships. You don't need to do that. The Lord describes it this way in Mark chapter 10, where He says, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. The way that God designed it is this way. And there was a recent survey that was done. Um, I don't know what the questions were on the survey, but the results were these. that they, uh, The survey was to try to report sexual satisfaction, okay? And in the survey, what they found was that um, uh, th- those who are single with an active sex life, those who are married, who are having affairs, don't have anywhere near the sexual satisfaction as those who are in a committed marriage relationship. As a matter of fact, those in that category are 30 points higher than the next category because this is the way that God designed it. Sleep around and you're going to sink that relationship. But enjoy the intimacy of one person to whom you are married and you can raise it. The third thing that Paul identifies here that can either sink or raise a relationship has to do with greed or materialism. He says this in verse 3, or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Now, a lot of people try to find their worth in, you know, uh, the isms, the the workaholisms, or the shopaholicisms, and, and, you know, things, things like that. You know, where, where a person works so many hours that they are robbing their family of their presence for the reason that they will be able to provide more things for their family. Or those who will shop for all kinds of things because, of course, we need them. Um, but in reality, spending the family budget down to nothing. You know, I discovered this last year, uh, as you know, I'd mentioned before, that Linda and I this year decided to get a travel trailer this year, dive into that end of the pool. And uh, didn't know before we got it, but <clears throat> when you get a travel trailer, there's all kinds of junk you've got to get for it, too. I mean, if you are a shopaholic, get a travel trailer, all right? Because you have all kinds of things you can go shopping for with a travel trailer, let me tell you. But if you do that, you know, if you, if you are a shopaholic, uh, that has to do with that greed that it's talking about. And that's one of those things that can sink a relationship along with things, other things having to do with materialism, like... Um, you know, workaholism, things like that. But uh, Paul here in Ephesians gives us an answer to this. He says in verse 4, Instead, practice thanksgiving 
Practice thanksgiving. In other words, giving thanks. Being appreciative. Being appreciative, number one, to God, because He is the one who gave you this relationship in the first place. He's the one who put this person into your life. As a matter of fact, if you are struggling in your marriage relationship, here's some advice. Go to God in prayer and say, God, help me to be thankful. Help me to find gratitude here. You know, people, it's, it's, it's amazing how people will not know what they have until they don't have it anymore, right? Until that person is gone. But what a wonderful thing it is to be grateful for that person while you still have them. To God, first of all, but then secondly, also to that person, to, to, to show gratitude to that person, thankfulness to that person. I mean, that goes a long ways toward raising that boat. You know, because life is hard. And there can be those waves that come in, like with that boat I was trying to raise out the bottom of the lake, that want to swamp the boat. But you have within you the power, the opportunity to either sink it or raise it. Okay? You can show respect and kindness the other person with your words, you can remain sexually pure and committed, devoted to your spouse. You can show thanks for God's good gift of this relationship, this person in your life. And then raise that boat. Now next week, we are going to continue with Ephesians as we take a look at what true love actually looks like. Let's stand now as we turn to him in prayer.